boy was he surprised. This past Valentine's Day, a British man flew his girlfriend to Northern Ireland to see her favorite band. Her favorite band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And this man found some tickets online and thought, I'll surprise her, flying her to see that band. Well, he didn't read real carefully because he actually bought tickets to the Red Hot Chili Pipers, (laughs) which was a bagpipe band. And he took her to this concert of men playing the bagpipes. When he was looking online, he didn't notice the subtle yet significant difference between peppers and pipers. And you need to understand that there are many false teachings out there. And the differences are subtle, but very, very significant. And I want to talk to you this morning about the danger of distorted Gospels. The the danger of, of false teaching infiltrating the church related to the message we hold most dear, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So keeping that in mind, would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 6, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. We are continuing our study through this letter that Paul wrote to churches in the Roman province of Galatia in the first century. We're going through it line by line, verse by verse. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Galatians 1 verse 6, the Bible says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of the highest glory. And it is a remarkable privilege that we get to do this every week. We get to gather together in the presence of the God of the universe and ascribe to you the worth that is due your name. And we get to encounter you as you speak to us through your word. And you apply your word to our lives by your spirit. So Lord, I pray that as we come to this time of Bible study, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see truth, that we would be moved to respond to truth. 
and that we would leave today changed, and that we would leave today knowing we have met with the living God. Lord, I pray that you would deliver us as a church from any inkling of turning to or believing in distorted gospels. And we'll thank you for that grace. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. This letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia starts in a customary manner. Paul identifies himself, and he identifies who he is writing to. He even shares a word of blessing when he says, Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But unlike his other letters, he does not spend much time or any time commending the believers in Galatia. He gets right to business because he's angry. He reminds them in verses 1 through 5 of the glories of the gospel, the realities of those who know Christ. But then he gets right into it in verse 6 when he begins to rebuke them for following false teaching, for turning away from the gospel. Now as we look at the entire book of Galatia, or Galatians, and we think through what was happening, we begin to piece together exactly what was occurring in these churches. As I told you earlier in the sermon series, Paul went through the Roman province of Galatia, preaching the gospel, starting churches. After he went through different cities, he returned back to those cities, helped them to appoint leaders, and spent some time encouraging them. And then I believe when he got back to Antioch in Syria, his home church, his home base, the church that sent him out on missionary journeys, he heard some disturbing things going on in these churches. So he writes the letter of Galatians to address those things. Now, here's what he heard. He heard that after he left, some false teachers infiltrated those churches. And and they began to lead people astray basically by saying, Oh, you've heard about Jesus? You've placed your faith in him? That's great, but if you really want to be completely right with God, there's some more things you need to do. You need to follow the Jewish law. Even if you're a Gentile, listen, you need to get circumcised and and keep these festival days, and and you got to do all those things, plus believe in Christ if you really want to be right with God. And Paul was infuriated that these teachers were preaching Jesus plus anything, when the gospel is Jesus alone saves. So he's writing this letter to address the, the concerns of this false teaching and to remind them of what the gospel is all about. Now his tone is fierce. Now in chapter 4, He settles down a little bit, and his tone becomes a little more loving, but he's using some very strong language in uh, chapter 1. In fact, John Piper writes, In Galatians, Paul is at his most vigorous. The sheer emotional force of the book has captured me again and again over the years. You cannot read the first ten verses without feeling that something utterly important is at stake. You can't read Galatians and think, Well, this is an interesting piece of religious reflection any more than you can examine a live coal with your bare hands. Paul is serious about the gospel. And he's using some very strong language here in the first chapter. He's dealing with these distortions of the gospel. So what I want to do is I want to walk through verses 6 and 7. I originally wanted to walk through verses 6 through 10, but as I studied last week, it was evident we wouldn't have enough time. So we're going to walk through verses 6 and 7. 
And I want to show you from the text three reasons we should never distort the gospel. Three reasons we should never distort the gospel. Reason number one. You ready? When you turn from the gospel, you turn from the Lord. And that's serious business. When you turn from the gospel, you turn from the Lord. Notice what Paul writes there in verse 6. I am astonished. The word there is is to be amazed by or or to even marvel at. And he's saying, I'm amazed, I'm astonished in a negative way that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, turning to a different gospel. Paul's saying, it's quick. I I went through the Roman province of Galatia. I went through Iconium and and Antioch, Pisidia, and Lystra, and Derbe. I preached the gospel. I went back through those cities and encouraged you and taught you. And now I've been gone just for a matter of months, and you are so quickly deserting this gospel I shared with you, the cornerstone of Christianity. And notice what he says there. I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him. Everyone see that? As they believe distorted gospel, he says, you are deserting him. You're deserting God. You're turning your back to him. You see, the gospel is God's message. So to reject it is to reject him. There's just no two ways about it. If, If you choose to embrace a message different than the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented in the word of God, you are rejecting God himself. This is not just religious preference or denominational affiliation. This is the message that saves souls. This is the message that God has delivered once for all for his church to share. And if you reject that message, you are saying to God, I reject you. That's how serious it is. Look what it says in verse 11, where Paul writes, I would have you know, brothers... That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Paul's saying, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not flying by the seat of my pants. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This message comes directly from God. So to turn your back to this message, to walk away from this message, to distort this message is to reject God himself. It is impossible. I want you to hear me carefully. It is impossible to walk away from the gospel and be faithful to God. If you do not believe and embrace and stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't care if you call yourself a Christian or not, you have rejected God himself. You are not faithful to him. Let me illustrate. Let's just imagine that we are a part of a kingdom and a king decides to pardon all of the prisoners very graciously, mercifully, to pardon the prisoners in his kingdom. And so he sends messengers to all of the prisons with a pardon slip. And their only job is to go to those prisoners and say, here's your pardon slip, you are free. Messengers of good news, right? Now imagine these messengers come into the prisons with a pardon slip. And they say, we want you to know that the king has set you free. Here's the pardon slip. But if you really want to get out of jail, 
Not only do you need to accept this slip, but you need to pay some extra taxes. And if you do those things and you get involved in this after-prison program and you follow up in the right ways, then you'll really be free. Can you imagine the wrath of the king when he heard that his messengers added on to his gracious pardon? He would be infuriated, right? He would not stand for unfaithful messengers. But that's what happens when anyone adds on or distorts the gospel. Instead of preaching gracious and merciful pardon from God on the basis of the finished work of Christ, when people add on to the gospel or distort the gospel or water down the gospel, they are being unfaithful to the king who has provided the pardon. And so when you turn from the gospel, you turn from the Lord. Let me give you another reason that we should never distort the gospel. Distorting the gospel troubles the church. Distorting the gospel troubles the church. Notice what it says there in verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are some who trouble you, these false teachers. They're called Judaizers. They would come into churches that consisted of Jews and Gentiles, and they would say, hey, again, it's great you've heard about Jesus, but if you really want to be right with God, you also must keep the law. And they were adding to the gospel. And Paul says these false teachers are infiltrating the church, and they are troubling you, troubling the church. That word troubling is an interesting word. The Greek word is terasso. It means to agitate or throw into disorder. That's what the word means. So as these folks come in with false gospels, distorted gospels, they were agitating the church, upsetting the, the health of the church. They were, they were throwing the churches into disorder. And these churches were, were church plants. They were started by the sovereign work of God, as Paul preached the gospel, he had blessed them and they had grown and reached out with the gospel and established leadership. And, and, and they were churches, brand new churches in the Roman province of Galatia. And now they were unhealthy. They were agitated. They were in disorder because of false teaching. And if you think that false teaching can't immediately throw a church into disorder then you don't understand how serious distorted Gospels are. You see, false teaching distracts and weakens churches. Distorted Gospels distract and weaken churches. And all you have to do, as a way of illustration, to, to, to get that point, is just look at the landscape of American Christianity. There are mainline denominations that at one time were powerful gospel-preaching churches, reaching people for Christ, growing, thriving, a light in our land, salt in our society, making a difference with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But over time, they began to walk away from the truths of the Bible. They began to reject the veracity and authority 
of God's word. They, they did not hold to the inerrancy and infallibility of scripture. And as they walked away from the, the authority of God's word, they of course walked away from the message of God's word, which is the gospel. And they began to preach distorted, watered down, twisted gospels. And you know what's happening now? Those mainline denominations are dying on the vine. There's no power, there's no, there's no life, there's no vibrancy. Why? They've walked away from the gospel. False teaching infiltrates. And it weakens churches, it weakens denominations, it weakens Bible colleges and seminaries that embrace false teaching. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And so if we want to be a church that's going to continue to reach people for Jesus Christ and touch the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ and see lives changed and families put back together and society renewed, we must stay by the gospel and preach the gospel and not allow distorted false teaching to infiltrate our lives. Distorting the gospel troubles the church, and that's serious business. You remember the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. Hey man, let me ask you a question. How would you respond if someone attacked your bride? I would guess that you would respond fiercely. Would do everything you could do not to allow that to happen. It would make you angry. It would, it would spur you into action, right? When false gospels infiltrate a church, it's an attack on the bride of Christ. And that is serious, serious business. Maybe that's why with these, these mainline denominations or churches that have walked away from the gospel, God has just removed his hand. Just removed his hand of blessing and power and anointing. And so... We should never distort the gospel. When you turn from the gospel, you turn from the Lord. When you distort the gospel, you, you trouble the church. But let me give you a third reason that we should never distort the gospel. A different gospel is not a gospel at all because it's not good news. Now, now look, what, look what Paul says there in verse 6. It's fascinating. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now look what he says in verse 7. Not that there is another one. So I'm calling it a different gospel, but it's not really gospel. Why is it not really gospel? Look what he says. But there are some who trouble you and he want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, the word gospel means good news. And Paul's saying there are some different gospels, but they're not really gospels because they're not good news. It's not really another gospel. It's not good news. It's, it's bad news. And that word distort there in verse 7 is a, is a Greek word, metastrepho. It means to turn or to change. It means to change direction. So here's what he's saying. These people that are distorting the gospel have actually made a 180. And they're going in, in the exact opposite direction of truth. And so this 180, when it comes to the gospel, is not, is not a gospel. It's not good news. The word gospel means good news, so you can't really call it a gospel. It's a distortion of the good news, the gospel of 
Jesus Christ. Tim Keller writes, what Paul is saying is, anybody who takes the gospel to try to change it, a smidgen. Peppers, pipers. Is actually turning it completely inside out. When it comes to monkeying with this doctrine, there is no way to create a spectrum. There's no way somebody who's a little bit off, the true doctrine of the gospel can be a little bit off. That's what he's saying. He says to deviate a little bit is to go light years away. You begin to deviate from the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are making a 180. And you are going rapidly in the other direction. So these false gospels, these distorted gospels, are not gospels at all. Because the word gospel means good news, and they're not good news. Now, why is the gospel that we believe that that is the cornerstone of our faith, why is the gospel good news? Let me give you two reasons it's good news. First of all, it speaks of God's initiative to save. Look what it says in verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, watch this, who called you. Who called you. I'm saved today, not because I went looking for God, because left to myself, I would never look for God. I'm saved today because God came looking for me. He called me. He initiated his work in my life. In fact, before I was even born, 2,000 years before I was born, Jesus had already died for my sins. How's that for initiative? And so... It's good news because the gospel is all about God's initiative to save. God had a plan of redemption in place before the foundations of creation. And the Bible is the story of God unfolding that plan and executing that plan to perfection so that there is hope for lost sinners like me to be saved. And there's hope for you to be saved because of what God has done, because he's initiated his work in your life. You know the Bible says in John 6, 44? The Bible says, Jesus speaking, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you're saved today, it's because God drew you. and showed you your need for a Savior. When I was nine years of age, I remember just this, this unusual thinking about spiritual things out of nowhere. I was just, you know, living the life of a nine-year-old boy, and all of a sudden I began to think spiritual things and ask spiritual questions. Where did that come from? God was drawing me by His Spirit and calling me through the gospel. And that's when I was saved. And maybe you're here this morning and you are not born again, but there's an unusual stirring in your heart. That is the Spirit of God drawing you to be saved. And the gospel is good news not because we have to figure it out. The gospel is good news because God came to us and showed us the way. Listen, if we had to figure out how to be saved, that would not be good news. Right? But it's very good news that God came looking for us. The gospel is not about us climbing the ladder to God. It's about God coming down to man. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the grave, doing everything necessary to save lost sinners. 
Let me give you another reason that the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news because it's a message of grace. Look what it says there in verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Don't you understand that to, to embrace a different message is to walk away from grace? And who wants to do that? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's God blessing us with the glory of salvation and eternal life and transformation. Giving us the gift that we do not deserve. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. If we were able to earn our way to heaven, which we're not, but if we were able to earn our way to heaven, we'd be so proud, wouldn't we? Look what I did to make myself acceptable to God. The gospel is not, have you done enough to make yourself acceptable? The gospel is, God offers you the gift of grace that you receive as an absolutely free gift. Grace! Why would you want to step away from grace into human effort when human effort does not and cannot save? Why would you want to reject the gift of salvation offered only through Jesus Christ for a distorted message? That will not save. So the gospel is good news because it speaks of God's initiative and it is a message of grace. And distortions of this message are not good news. So you can't really call them a gospel. That's what the word means. Distortions of the gospel are not good news for sinners. That's why he says in verse 7, not that there is another one. I, I'm calling it here a different gospel, but it's not really a good news. It's not, it's not good news for sinners. So, what are some distortions of the gospel that we see today infiltrating churches that people are buying into and believing and making a 180 from the truth to go in a different direction? What, what are some of those distortions? Well, I want to give you four. This is not an exhaustive list, but I believe this represents... Most of what you'll hear and, and deal with as you hear different views. The first distortion of the gospel is legalism. Legalism. And legalism defined is basically Jesus plus anything saves. Jesus plus anything saves is legalism. That's what Paul's dealing with in the book of Galatians. We're going to get into it as we work our way through Galatians. But Paul keeps saying... That we are justified by faith alone, not by works of the law. We're justified by faith in the finished work of Christ, what he's done for us, not by doing something to make ourselves right with God. That's what the Bible clearly says over and over and over and over and over again. You see, legalism is not good news. If I told you, Hey, Jesus, Jesus gets you in, but if you want to keep your salvation, you better behave. And you better do these things. That's not good news. 
if any portion of my salvation was up to me, I would be terrified. Wouldn't you? The gospel is Jesus alone saves by grace through faith. Legalism says, well, yeah, you place your faith in Jesus, but there's some other things you need to do. Be it sacraments or baptism after your conversion or your profession of faith or church attendance or if you really want God to like you, you need to dress this certain way or do this certain thing or anything that adds on to the gospel of Jesus Christ is legalism. It is not good news. That's what he's dealing with in this letter. And we see that, we see that everywhere. People want to add to the gospel. They, they, want to, they, want to, they want to make it more difficult than it really is. Why? Why would someone add to a message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone? Listen to me, coming real close. Human pride. There's a little bit of goodness in me that can make myself acceptable to God, right? I, I, I need to do something to be saved. Salvation is a gift of grace that you receive. And so legalism is a distortion of the gospel, adding anything to Jesus. Let me give you another distortion of the gospel, liberalism. Liberalism. And I spoke of that earlier when I talked about some of the mainline denominations. If someone walks away from the authority of Scripture, listen to me, one of the first truths they will lay aside is the truth that Jesus is the only way to be saved. It's one of the first things they'll, they'll lay aside. When Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. That's not preacher talk. That's not Baptist talk. That's what Jesus said in John. It's in the Word. But when churches or teachers or denominations or Bible colleges or seminaries walk away from the authority of Scripture, they quickly lay aside exclusivity. So that's a little bit harsh. And then they began to embrace pluralism. You know what pluralism is? Oh, it's rampant in our society. Pluralism is the belief that all roads eventually lead to God. You may choose your world religion, and you choose your world religion or your worldview, and I've got my thing, but we are, we're all going to get the same place. So what they say is this. Listen, just choose your path and be genuine and faithful. You know what that means? works. That's what it is. Even though liberals are trying not to be exclusive, they're preaching a works-based salvation. That, that if you do something or pick something and, and you're faithful a little bit to it, then it gets you to your final destination. That's works-based. That's man-centered theology. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Liberalism in seeking to be inclusive is really just espousing works-based salvation. So can I tell you this? Liberalism is not good news. The fact that you just choose whatever you want and it's going to work out okay, that's not good news. Because it's a lie. There are going to be people on judgment day that have chosen a path they think leads them to the one true God. And they will find that apart from Jesus, they will be forever separated from God. There's a third 
false, distorted gospel that's infiltrated churches. And this is going to take a little bit more time to unpack. Don't be thrown off by the, the big words. But, but this distorted gospel is called moralistic, therapeutic deism. <laughs> so where'd you get that term? It's a good question. Uh, this term was coined by sociologists Christian Smith and Melina Lundquist Denton in their 2005 book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And what these sociologists did is they, they did extensive research on teenagers in churches. And they were trying to get to the bottom of what their real belief system is. So they began to ask them questions and do surveys and follow-ups. And, and, and they wrote this book as a way to share their findings. And based upon their research... They call the predominant beliefs of American teenagers moralistic therapeutic deism. In other words, they're saying, even though they call themselves Christians and are in churches, they believe a different gospel. And by the way, I don't believe this is just teenagers. I believe the reason those teenagers believe that false gospel is because it comes from their parents. And, and this, listen, this distorted gospel has infiltrated the Bible Belt. You need to understand that. So what is it? What in the world is moralistic, therapeutic deism? All right, here it is. You ready? The beliefs of moralistic, therapeutic deism are moralistic in that they place a high value on being good. And here's the problem, and they identify this with American teenagers... Good is really defined by popular culture rather than the moral imperatives of the Bible. So, so if you believe that your good basically outweighs your bad and you're making up the rules about what is good and what is bad, then you're going to think you're basically okay, right? I'm not a bad person. I do good things. Yeah, I, do some, I do some bad things, but you know my good outweighs my bad. I'm basically a, a good person based upon the, the norms of society. What does the Bible say? All have fallen short of the glory of God. The standard is not what society calls good. The standard is the holiness of God. And all have fallen short of that standard, including the preacher talking to you this morning. We've all sinned against a holy God. The, the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. Romans 3.10 there's this belief that, you know, if, if I'm just basically good, then I'm, I'm okay with God. You know, the, the big man upstairs is going to just, when I get to heaven, he's going to say, come on in. You're a good old guy. You're a good old gal. Come on in. Moralistic. Also, this belief system is therapeutic in that the primary value is feeling good about oneself. So, these sociologists are saying these teenagers basically have a belief system that says, God is there to make me feel good about myself. He's kind of a cosmic butler that, that makes my life better. And he's kind of like roadside assistance. I don't need him until I'm having a problem. And then when I have a problem, I call him. He'll come running for me. 
therapeutic, deism. You know what the word deism means? It means that, yeah, I believe there's a God, but he's not really active and personal in my day-to-day life. I mean, if you pin me down and say, is there a God? I'll say, yeah, I'm not an atheist, but I really don't walk with him or talk with him. He really has no bearing on how I act in school or how I act in my relationships or my family. That is this doctrine, moralistic, therapeutic deism. God's job is to take care of us. So here's what's happening. We have generations now of people that believe this. And they think, well, I'm basically good. God will come running if I need some help. But I really don't need to give him any attention any other time. And that's going to be good enough. And listen to me. You have many people believing that. Listen to me. Listen to me. And they're not born again. They're not born again. They may call themselves Christian. They may be in churches. They may be really nice. But Jesus says, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. We're not saved by being good or good outweighing our bad. We are saved by embracing the finished work of Christ, the only way to have our sins washed away. And so moralistic therapeutic deism is is a, a pervasive belief in the Bible Belt. It, it is taking hold of churches. It, it basically says, hey, let's get together and have a good time. I'm okay, you're okay. The world revolves around you. And it is a distorted, false gospel. Which leads to the fourth distorted gospel, and we'll finish up here in a moment. Prosperity. Prosperity. You see this everywhere, you hear it on TV, you hear it on the radio. The prosperity gospel basically says that God rewards increases in faith with increases in health and wealth. So if you'll just have more faith and do the right stuff, then God will reward you with with more financial blessings and with greater health blessings. It's called the health and wealth gospel. Basically, if if you're living for the Lord... You're going to get that promotion at work. If you're living for the Lord, then, uh, you know, he'll get you out of that Toyota Camry into a Mercedes, right? If you're living for the Lord, why in the world are you living in a three-bed, two-bath house when you could be living in a six-bedroom, four-bath house? And again, it's a man-centered gospel that really doesn't emphasize the need to be born again. Listen to this quote from David W. Jones. He writes, In light of Scripture, the prosperity gospel is fundamentally flawed. At bottom, it is a false gospel because of its faulty view of the relationship between God and man. Simply put, if the prosperity gospel is true, grace is obsolete. God is irrelevant, and man is the measure of all things. Whether they're talking about the Abrahamic covenant, the atonement, giving, faith, or prayer, prosperity teachers turn the relationship between God and man into a quid pro quo transaction. I imagine that uh, Paul's up in heaven and at some point he heard about this prosperity gospel that's really taken hold of, of uh, Christendom. And he thought, I wish somebody would have told me that. Read 2 Corinthians 11. Shipwrecked, hunger, thirst, losing everything, imprisoned, 
lashed multiple times for the gospel. He lost everything in following Christ. I don't know what a prosperity teacher says about that. And by the way, if, uh, and this is just extra help for you, but teach, if a Bible teacher, preacher, no matter how big they smile or how nice their suit looks or how slick their broadcast is, if they're asking you for money for their ministry and they're flying around on Learjets, don't walk, run away from that. That is foolish. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's false teaching. But it's popular. It's popular. And so, we have a choice to make. We embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented in the Word, or will we allow the gospel to be distorted? We, we make a 180 and go in the other direction. Josh Moody says this about these false gospels, and this is where the rubber really meets the road. The gospel of Jesus Christ is humbling because it tells us that we are broken and need fixing. All false gospels appeal to our human vanity because they tell us that we are less broken and can at least participate in fixing ourselves. Behind false gospels is a great desire to actually change the gospel so that we don't need to be so humble or meek or poor in spirit in order to be blessed. You know what these false gospels are? They are, they are driven by man's pride. To think we can somehow do something to be right with God. So the only news that is good news for sinners that cannot save themselves is the news that Jesus did everything necessary to save you. That's the only good news. If, if you were drowning and about to go under, someone on the shoreline saying, swim harder would not be good news. Someone saying, improve your stroke so it looks nicer, that would not be good news. If someone said, hey, have more faith, that would not be good news. The only good news is that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And by turning from our sin and placing our confidence and trust in what he did for us, can we be saved? False gospels say, do. The gospel says, done. False gospels say, work. The gospel says the work is finished. False gospels say morality saves. The gospel says mercy saves. False gospels say it's your goodness. The gospel says it's his grace. False gospels say achieve. The gospel says believe. False gospels say do your best. The gospel says rest. So here's what I want you to walk away with today. Embrace the true gospel because it is God's message and it is good, really good news.